It's time now for the Lamb McElwain Legal Show. Each show, heard every other Thursday at 1230, will feature different lawyers and their guests from the law firm of Lamb McElwain. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. My name is Dan Bush, and on the other end of that phone is my partner, Steve Jarman. Steve, you're there, right? I am. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing great, thank you. And like everybody else is doing nowadays, we're doing things remotely. So instead of being uh, in a little tiny studio looking at each other, we are on the other end of phone lines from our various locations, um, trying to keep everything moving, trying to keep everything sane, and you know, uh, trying to one day get back to some type of normal. Steve, the family okay? Yeah, we're we're doing good. Um, what about you? Everything good on your end? Yeah, I'm doing all right. We have I have three kids, two high school kids and uh, a college senior and that. Well, I'm sorry, a college freshman and and that college freshman wants about absolutely nothing to do with living in mom and dad's house anymore. So, <laughs> other than that, I think we're we're kind of making do with things. Um, but today, what we're trying to talk about, first of all, everybody, you know, we do, Steve and I do this show either every couple of weeks or once a month or so, depending on what else is going on. We are criminal criminal defense attorneys here in Westchester. Our office is on Market Street. Our firm now, with our newest additions, has about 41 or 42 attorneys, uh, at least as of the beginning of June it will. Um, and Steve and I and another one of our partners, Rich Muth, practice almost exclusively criminal law. So our familiarity is not only with the Chester County justice system, but the surrounding counties as well. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, you know, as I am the designated person in my house who goes out and gets the essential food, you know, I'm the guy that goes to Giant when, when the cupboard's running bare. And every once in a while, I'll see somebody, even in a mask, and uh, I hadn't seen that person in a while, and I'll say something like, hey, how you doing? What's been going on? And inevitably, the person will say, well, not much because of everything that's out there right now. But, you know, the answer, if you want to talk about the truth, the truth really isn't that not much has been going on. There's been a lot going on, right? I mean, it's... What we knew yesterday is not what it is today, nor will it probably be what it is tomorrow. So there has been a lot going on. Things are changing by the week or by the day and sometimes even by the hour. And that's no different in the justice system. Um, And that's one of the things that Steve and I are going to talk about today. It's difficult to keep up sometimes. Um, You literally have court orders It'll come out today, and then two days later, there'll be a different one. And it'll say, you know what I said the other day? Well, we're going to modify that. So Steve and I have been trying to keep up. Um, we're going to relay some of the things that the uh, that have been going on, not only in the counties, but in the Commonwealth all across the state. Uh, and hopefully you can take something out of this. Steve, when's the last time you were in court? So I was in court uh, Friday. I was in Friday. I was in Delaware County on an emergency detention hearing where I was trying to get a client out who may uh, have uh, increased risk to COVID. So uh, that was in the Delaware County Court of Common Pleas. But I was in court probably three or four times last week 
Um, and I, it, it, it was fascinating because it was in multiple ways and methods that I appeared in court. Um, obviously, I just told you about being in Delaware County uh, in person, live, in the actual courtroom last Friday. But I also appeared in a, a local district court in Chester County in person. Um, I also appeared in the Chester County Court of Common Pleas in person. Um, so um, over the last couple of weeks and until the end of the month, the court systems are, are doing what they can to try to move cases along, but at the same time, keep people safe. Um, tell me, tell me about the Delaware yeah. County. Tell me about the Delaware County case, because that's one I have not had recently. Yeah, so what they're doing is um, right now, uh, everything is on an emergency basis. So if you have uh, someone that's a client and you feel that uh, they're incarcerated and they are at increased risk of the, the bad effects of COVID, you can make an emergency petition to be heard. And so that's what we did. Um, I filed an emergency petition to get in front of a judge. Um, I filed it, and then within a couple of days, they scheduled for a hearing. And, you know, the court hearing was live in front of a judge. Everybody was required to wear a mask. I had on a mask. The judge had on a mask, DA, uh, probation officers, et cetera. Um, and it was just the only thing that was different is we were wearing masks. Uh, if you had uh, checked in on that same hearing four months prior, it would looked exactly the same, except we wouldn't have been wearing masks at that time. So was the client brought in from prison, or was that uh, done via telecommunication? So um, for reasons I won't get into on, on this broadcast, uh, the client was not present in this situation. But uh, typically what was happening was if your client was incarcerated in the Delaware County prison, uh, they would they would broadcast your client from the Delaware County prison. Um, for reasons I won't get into, we weren't able to do that in my situation, but uh, that's typically how uh, cases were being handled. They were not bringing the actual prisoner to the courthouse because they wanted to not expose, uh, you know, the constables, sheriffs to uh, that kind of transportation. And and my understanding with the prisons are is exactly consistent with that, that they're not transporting anybody to and from the prison for hearings, uh, at least. they okay. What they have in the prison, they want to keep contained in the prison, and they want to limit people's access to it, obviously, because the people that are in there are not generating coronavirus by themselves. The only way that the people in there are going to get corona is if somebody else brings it from an outside source, whether it be a prisoner who's going out to court, which they're eliminated, or obviously guards, employees, whatever, who have to go home at night and are potentially bringing things back in. Correct. Correct. Um, so, so, uh, so, so, yeah, so that was Delaware County. Um, what, what I saw and witnessed in Chester County this past week, too, was, you know, they're trying to get things back to normal uh, as quickly as possible. Now, at the beginning of this crisis, the only hearings that were taking place were people who were incarcerated. That's it. Those are the only uh, hearings that were allowed to be brought forth to the court. Um, over the last couple of weeks, they've expanded that, and um, they, people who are not incarcerated, people who have DUIs pending, other charges, they're trying to move forward with those preliminary hearings. So 
um, the way that the courts have been doing that is, you know, we basically have, have this backlog now for a month and a half of cases that weren't moving forward. What they've done, what the Chester County has done to try to take that load off of the district court, and the district court is where all misdemeanor and felony cases begin, is the Court of Common Pleas have taken on part of that burden. So all DUI cases and all felony cases, instead of having your preliminary hearing at the local district court where the charges originated, they've moved those cases to the Court of Common Pleas. So now Court of Common Pleas judges will hear those cases. And the reason why they're doing that is because they have more space and they can space out um, the hearings. So instead of having 20 people show up at a district court to handle uh, at all at nine o'clock to handle those individual preliminary hearings, they've spread them out at the Court of Common Pleas. So now you might have uh, three hearings scheduled at nine o'clock and then another three scheduled at 930. That way people aren't uh, mingling with each other, we can still maintain some social distancing measures. Uh, the Court of Common Pleas also has better systems to check people's temperature when you come into the building. All people coming into the Chester County Courthouse right now are being checked, uh, having their temperatures checked. Uh, for that matter, same in Delaware County. They were also checking temperatures. So those are, those are some of the uh, implementations that uh, I've been seeing over the last uh, week or so. And, you know, for some of the people who might be listening either live or on our podcast by the way this is this will this very show will be podcast both on iTunes and I think on Spotify as well you would just look under the lamb uh kind of type in lamb Macerlane and you or Dan Bush or Steve Jarman, and you should be able to find it so for the people who aren't particularly familiar with the criminal justice system it's basically divided into two levels of courts. Uh, the initial court is what's called a magisterial district justice court, or as Steve just called it, a district court. Uh, that is the first level kind of entry into the criminal justice system after a person gets arrested or charged with a crime. And at that district court level, a preliminary hearing is called, or I'm sorry, a preliminary hearing is held and the idea of that preliminary hearing is see, to see if there's enough evidence to get held over to the next level court or the main level court, which is the Court of Common Pleas. Um, so the what Chester County has done, at least, is combined some of those things in the same building. Normally, the Chester County Justice Center, which is our main courthouse here in Chester County, is limited to just Court of Common Pleas cases, but what you're saying, Steve, is that the Common Pleas judges are also handling some of the lower-level district court tasks as well for certain cases, right? That's correct. And what what they've also have implemented is, um, so that's one way they're trying to address the issue. Take some of those preliminary hearings or those matters and bring them to the Court of Common Pleas so you can space it out. What they've also done, though, what the district courts are doing is instead of appearing in person to handle your preliminary hearing, if you're just going to waive the preliminary hearing, meaning you're not going to uh, contest the charges at that level, um, you're going to waive. They're allowing for attorneys and their clients to do that through video. So to further keep people safe, instead of my client and I going to the, to the actual court building and standing in front of the judge, uh, twice last week, they allowed myself and my client to basically dial in using uh, video. And, you know, I was in my my house, my client was at their house, and the judge w was at the courthouse, and we all communicated that way. And 
Um, that was so that's another method that was being used to um, try to keep people safe. In my opinion, it's also efficient too. I mean, we most of the times, and you know this, we go to court for a preliminary hearing. We could be there for a couple of hours, uh, you know, but not because our case is going to take two hours because we have to just wait in line for other people's cases to conclude. I uh, hear this is pretty efficient. I called in at a certain time, you know, it took about 15 minutes and we were done. So um, not only was it uh, safer, it was uh, more efficient. It, it definitely is. It, as lawyers, efficiency is great. I guess as any, uh, any individual, efficiency is great. Uh, there. As lawyers, though, we have obviously special concerns um, with the rights of our clients, the constitutional rights to confront witnesses against us, and uh, you can't really do that on on a video conference. Um, so there are definitely issues with potentially going forward. You sit, you sit there and say, well, yeah, this is efficient, and this seems like a great idea, but We've talked off off the air about how it's also wrought with some problems too. So uh, there are definitely going to be some considerations for changes. We'll see somewhere down the line of exactly how far that goes, though, uh, because our business is a little bit different than most businesses when it comes to efficiency. We have clients' constitutional rights that are first and foremost on everybody's mind, and you, you really risk treading on thin ice when it comes to some of the technological advancements and you're balancing efficiency versus the constitutionality of certain things, and it gets a little bit tricky. But I'll tell you what, in, in doing some research for today's show, I went through some of the orders uh, that and how this whole thing developed, and I'd love to go through them really quickly. Um, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, oddly, oddly enough, was really kind of – the baseline that many of the courts use to issue orders throughout the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania on how things uh, should be run. Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court came out originally with its first order and said, look, the general rule here is that all courts are going to be open, but only open for emergency functions. Uh, and it gave a list of what those emergency functions were. But And I think this is this is pretty progressive of the Supreme Court at that point. What it allowed the local courts to do, and when I say local courts, the individual county president judges, like our president judge here in Chester County is a gentleman named John Hall. Um, what they allowed the president judges to do is say, okay, you can tweak this general order however you want. Just remain consistent with what we're trying to do. And the different counties did exactly that. And the reason why I think that's so important is Pennsylvania is such a diverse state. You have the city of Philadelphia and its surrounding counties. You have the city of Pittsburgh and its surrounding counties. But the, the geography and the population in the middle of the state is vastly different than those two outer areas. And, I mean, obviously there's – there's Harrisburg in the middle. There's York down in the middle south. There's Erie up in the northwest. Uh, but there are some very rural counties, and they probably shouldn't be ruled, at least court-wise, like the, the main counties that are most populated. And the Supreme Court gave leeway to those president judges to come in and do um, not as they please, but certainly to tweak the overall order. What I 
find interesting is comparing how Montgomery County has progressed versus how Chester County has progressed. Obviously, we are adjacent counties. You literally can have one side of the street being Montgomery County, the other side of the street being Chester County. And generally speaking, Montgomery County has been hit harder by this thing than Chester County has. Montgomery County has basically stayed true to its original order, and that is that the non-essentials, the non-essential cases are not going to be addressed until this thing is over, or at least progressed into June. Um, they've stayed consistent with the overall Pennsylvania Supreme Court order, saying only these things are essential. But Chester County really hasn't handled that. They, they've done it a little bit differently, haven't they, Steve? Yeah, I mean, Chester County has been a little bit more progressive in trying to get more matters handled. Um, you know, like I said, we've Basically, in Chester County, it, right at, at, at the moment, because you know we're going to talk about it in a little bit. It's going to change here in the next few weeks. But at the moment, if you have a, a, a plea agreement reached, um, you know there's no jury trials happening right now. But if you have a plea agreement reached with the DA, there's really nothing to prevent you from trying to find a way to get in the court and get that resolved. We we can pretty much do that anytime we want, um, as long as the judge is okay with it. That's the kind of leeway that uh, that we've been given here in Chester County is we can do that. You, as you alluded to, Montgomery County seems to be just shut down. Like it has to truly be those emergency matters that they're bringing in uh, right now. Chester County is different. We can, if we have a plea agreement ready to go, um, we can essentially find a judge uh, if they're willing to take the case and, and get that resolved. Um, so we, we, we can move forward if we like. Um, we still have to take, you know, precautions. The judge is still going to limit how many people can be in the courtroom, um, how many people are coming into the building, temperature checks, face masks, and all that. But uh, we can we can still function right now. And I give President Judge Hall a lot of credit for that. And I think from looking at some of the other orders throughout the state as well is that the courts are getting backlogged. The dockets are getting backlogged, and what we're doing here in Chester County is he's trying to eliminate um, some of that backlog consistent with the idea of, hey, you really have to be careful about how we do things. Um, Chester County has gotten progressively, as, as I was saying earlier, things change by the day or by the week. The most recent Chester County uh, order has basically opened up the non-essential, the original non-essential list, I'm sorry, the original essential list to include what many counties, many counties are still including on their non-essential stuff and not going to court for. Without getting into all of those things, Chester County has really become progressive in that regard. Um, now let's talk about where we are going. Uh, the, the most recent order says, is it June 2nd? June 2nd, and everything, at least here in Chester County, everything is going back to, quote, normal on June the 2nd, court-wise. Uh, I'm not sure exactly procedurally whether everything is going to be normal, but courts are going to be open for business uh, on June 2nd. Um, that's always subject to change. Um, but right now, Chester County says on June 2nd we are, we are going back to the way it used to be. 
Our dockets are open. We are open for business at both level courts that we were talking about, both at district court level and the common pleas court level. One of the things... I was going to say, Dan, the only, accept, the only exception to that would be uh, everything goes back to regular list, except we're not having jury trials uh, at the moment uh, until August. And that's because that is a, an absolute that's coming from the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court is saying we can't have jury trials. So that's not left to the discretion of the individual president and judges. So at least for the time being, there's not going to be any jury trials, at least until August. One of the things that I'm not so sure when this is going to come back to normal is I was looking at the arrests that the state police have made. The state police uh, are the one, obviously, the only um, law enforcement agency that has jurisdiction throughout the Commonwealth, the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. The arrests, their arrests are published on a weekly basis. And I find it absolutely phenomenally interesting, even fascinating, to look at some of those arrests. There is a pre-COVID kind of baseline that the state police use in publishing their most recent numbers. And I'm going to throw these out there. This For the week of February 22nd through February 28th, there were... 20,549 calls that came into the police for service. And what that means, that doesn't necessarily mean somebody's calling and saying, oh, can you send a state trooper out? Some of those come in because they pulled somebody over on the road, and it's the police officer who's making the individual call in. But just looking at those numbers, 20,549 calls for service. Of those, 2,317 led to some type of a charge being leveled on a person. What that means is 11% of the times that the police were called or got involved with a case back pre-COVID, 11% of the time some type of charges were filed. In the most recent week that was passed, May 2nd through May 8th, there were 33,125 times that the police were called. So the number of calls actually went up. It went up 61% from pre-COVID. And you say, wait, I didn't think that they were making as many arrests. Well, of those 33,125 times the police or the state troopers were called, they only ch- filed charges 30 or 385 times. In other words, 1% of the calls it came in actually led to the police to the state troopers filing a charge. That's, That's a, fascinating. It's an eighty-three percent reduction from pre that pre-COVID baseline. Absolutely amazing. That's a that's an amazing. St- I'm glad you found that because I, I just find this whole thing fascinating. Um, you know, you have you know almost. 11, 12,000 more calls, but only 385, you know, arrests, you know, you know, down from 2,317. Um, I just want to make so, one distinction, Steve. Yeah, it's yeah. not arrests. So I, that's right. The reason I'm saying this charge, is because charge I'm going to talk about it. And I mean, the difference is an arrest is physically being put into your, your liberty being restrained, handcuffed, put in a police car. These are Correct. charges. So, I mean, you, the police come out. They file charges against you. They don't necessarily lock you up right away. Correct. You know, if you were looking at that pre-COVID baseline, 
uh, you know, so the, for the 20,549 calls, you had 1,200, basically 1,200 arrests. And then to the stat you just alluded to last week, 33,000 calls last week, and those ended up being 325 arrests. So you had more phone calls, a lot more phone calls, and, you know, a lot less arrests. So I was going to ask you, what do you think, what do you think attributes to that? My opinion, and again, these stats kind of blew me away. If you look at the time, not forget about the times that the police actually came out, uh, where the police got called. Look at the amount of times that a person was charged versus the amount of times that an arrest was made. And again, the difference being person's charged, meaning the police file paperwork with the courts, but they don't physically take the person into custody. An arrest is physically taking a person into custody and then charging them. So pre-COVID, charges filed 2,317 times. Of those, only 1,286 times was somebody arrested, percentage-wise. Pre-COVID, 55% of the times that they charged somebody they actually arrested them as well, took them into custody, took them in front of a judge, 55%. Last week, it's 385 times somebody was actually charged, 325 times they were arrested. So in other words, 80% of the time that the police were charging, they were actually physically arresting as well. So that's a difference between 55% pre-COVID 80% 80% last week. What that tells me, and getting to your, ultimately to your question, what that tells me is they are only charging people with serious crimes, and they're only, of those people, they're only arresting them for very serious crimes. In other words, most of the times that they are charging somebody, it's because that person is a bad dude and they need to get that person off the street and they're physically arresting them and taking them into custody. I mean, you're talking about the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. There were only 325 arrests last year. I'm sorry, last week. That's probably a good night in Philadelphia, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think if you also look at, so I I agree with you that that means they're, they're, they're really, you know, happen to focus on people that are committing the most serious crimes, but also crimes where they can't let them go. So if you look at the D of those 325 arrests, 202 of them were DUI. So, you know, over half were DUI. So those are types of crimes where, you know, I would say, you know, it's a misdemeanor. Most of the time it's not as serious as some felonies. Um, those are crimes where the police can't just let you go. You can't let the person get, you know, continue to drive drunk and get back in the car. So they have to make some kind of arrest, take somebody into custody. Yeah, that's a really um, good point. Yeah. And the other ones is another interesting stat I saw. If you remember, we talked about this last time. It's back on March 17th when this thing was breaking, a little bit later than that, actually. The Philadelphia police came out and said, hey, we're not going to arrest for certain nonviolent crimes. Um, we're, we're going to file the charges eventually, but we're not taking a person into custody. Recently, uh, on May 1st, they changed the list of things that they were not going to arrest. Previously, they weren't arresting, meaning that they weren't physically taking a person into custody for burglaries, 
theft from uh, a car or theft from a person, stealing cars, or even retail theft. They've taken each of those things off their non-arrest list as of May 1st because what they were finding is that for a burglary or for people who were stealing retail thefts, they wouldn't arrest them. And then two weeks later, that same person would go out and commit the exact same crime. That's pretty much what people feared. So they were finding the recidivism rates were super high for those kind of crimes because people weren't getting arrested. And they finally said, all right, enough is enough. We're taking those things off the list. They're still not arresting for, like, your nuisance crimes, drugs, uh, prostitution, because they don't want to arrest those people and take them into jail and and – bring potentially COVID-type situations into the prisons. They just don't want the, the prisons are pushing back and saying, look, we want to keep our numbers low. We don't want people coming in unless you absolutely positively have to. So it's this really kind of dynamic situation. It's like a give and take, a push and shove that they're still trying to figure it out right now. It'll be interesting on June 2nd or early June in some of the other counties to see where we go from there. No, we only have about a minute left, Steve. Any last thoughts? No, I, you know, I think it would be interesting. I look forward to when we come back, um, you know, the next time we're on the air. It's gonna, I think we're going to be in a different place, and so we'll have a lot more to say about, you know, the, the state of where we are at that time. Yeah, me too. Me too. Listen, Steve, stay safe. Uh, I'll be seeing you, physically seeing you at some point soon. Until then, you stay safe. Keep your family safe. Everybody out there on Radio Land, um, you, too, you, please, you please do the same. Take care, everybody. Uh, i got to say one thing. We're lawyers. We have to say this, this disclaimer. These are, this last half hour have been the opinions of Steve and I. They are not necessarily the opinions of Lamb McElaine, Um and this show is not necessarily intended to give any legal advice or anything like that. It's more for some, some information purposes, but mostly entertainment purposes as well. With that, everybody take care. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Lamb McElaine Legal Show, heard every other Thursday at 1230 on WCHE 1520, the talk of Chester County.